This is Cleantech Talk, Cleantechnica's podcast series interviewing cleantech leaders from around the world. Here for another episode of Clean Tech Talk with Alf Poor, CEO of Ideanomics, and I'm Zachary Shahan, Director and CEO of Clean Technica. Uh, last time we talked about 5G's role in the future of mobility. Today we're talking about EV charging, and um, yeah, we'll dive into different aspects of that to get rolling. Uh, Alf, what what are what's your overview look, your bird's eye view of the EV charging landscape right now? From my perspective, I think it's still nascent. I think uh, there's a lot of range anxiety out there because there's not enough awareness. Um, There is actually a good number of charging stations in most countries at this point, but uh, people don't seem to understand where to find them or or what there is because there seems to be a lack of, as I said, awareness in the marketplace. So uh, I'd love to see that improve. Yeah, and we're talking, um, uh, you want to focus globally right now or, or U.S. only? Uh, no, we can focus globally for sure. Be yeah. pleased to. Uh, I think the, the the challenges are the same, even though there's different degrees of uh, progress. Yeah, I've I've of the world. <laughs> yeah, I've li- I lived in Europe for ten years, and there was uh, there's a period of time I was walking by a charging station every day. Basically, it was like f- five minute walk between my home and uh, where we went shopping for groceries and stuff, and um, it was just very discreet charging station and i didn't realize it was there uh it was right in eyes view like not not far even not even hard to didn't have to squint but uh i finally i went for a test drive of a plug-in hybrid in poland there and found out that there were charging stations in the city which i assumed there weren't um and then i looked at the map and it was right there where i'm walking every day and uh i think it's really that that's the kind of situation you have even when they're more visible if you're not an EV driver, you don't notice them. Um, do, you, do you have any favorite solutions for this? Yeah, we, we, we do. I, <clears throat> one of the things that I, I find most interesting is um, we're trying to change consumer behavior, and that's a difficult thing to do. And uh, we're actually involved in, in China in a pilot project with uh, PetroChina. Um, they're obviously the main uh, automotive energy distributors uh, the oil and gas companies at this time, but that's obviously going through a seismic shift. And as the we get to the tipping point with EV, well, it's going to be the electricity providers that are going to be taking over, you know, providing that energy demand. And um, they have a very different uh, viewpoint on this. They've done a study over in China which shows that consumer behavior is very hard to change. And right now, their study showed that most of the people using EV charging stations, okay. Um, have to do it, so they have no choice. It's being it's being uh, forced upon them, right? They can only get charged where either at home through their own trickle charge or out in the field where they can find them. And the study came back that it was done by in China by one of the uh, government ministries, and it basically said, um, you know, there's a much bigger opportunity here, particularly as it pertains to range anxiety, around starting to repurpose the gas stations. And that does two things for, for a state like China. I mean, 
utilities are state-owned, the petrochemical companies are state-owned, uh, but they obviously don't want a, a big disruption to them. So what they've done is they've started a program. We're helping them with it along with uh, CATL, uh, one of our charging operators and battery partners, um, is to go into the, the, the gas station, say there's 10 pumps, take the first two of them away, replace them with EV, and then over a 5, 10, 15-year period, depending whether it's city, um, suburban or rural location, begin to remove the gasoline and diesel pumps until they become the two as an exception, and the other eight would be for EV charging. And they think this will do a couple of things. One, um, as the charging um, technology progresses, the faster the charges are getting. And as the battery technology progresses, they, they can take the, the direct DC charge without heating up too much, which is one of the big issues right now. And they think not changing the consumer behavior, which has been built over about 100 years, right, of mass cars uh, being pretty much global, um, they think that's a, that's a much better solution. Um, I, I, I like that idea a lot because for me, you know, I would, I would want to know that I've got the same dependence I have where you know, if I want to drive from New York to Florida, I don't need to know where the gas stations are, okay? I know that there's a robust network out there that can service my energy needs. I think that's where we need to get to with the, uh, with the EV charging as well. Yeah, it's funny because there's such um, – you, you have sort of all different scenarios in this transition. And uh, I think anytime you talk about one, it doesn't apply to others. And so you sort of have this issue of you have to recognize that there's all these different segments of the market. Um, so, I mean, for the vast majority of EV owners today – they do almost all their charging at home or at home and work. Um, but then you have the scenario where even if that's the case, they typically want to know they have a place to charge easily on their favorite road trips or wherever they're going to go on a long distance drive. So you have sort of this dual need of, first of all, helping people to understand that, um, there's actually a greater convenience to EV life because you can often just plug in when you get home uh, or at work or some, some destination and you don't have to actually do much. Um, so there's like, I think the convenience factor, the thing that frustrates me about the focus on range anxiety is um, depending on the individual, you might not ever have it anyway, but also it just sort of takes away from the point that there's a greater convenience factor to, um, to home charging and, and workplace charging and even destination charging. I don't have home or workplace charging, but we charge at the grocery store and that, that handles it uh, adequately every, every week. But, um, but that case of, you know, not knowing, I think is the biggest factor. And so people have to understand their options and they have to understand also, like you said, if I go on a road trip from to, you know, New York or something from Florida, I'm going to be able to charge these places. And I think for right now, people don't even have a picture of the landscape. So I, I think that's one interesting approach. You have other interesting approaches to this sort of, I guess this question of just uh, this issue of people just not being aware of how, I mean, I, how it works. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you touched on something significant there. I mean, if you take, um, you know, I, we, we live in the, the New York, uh, New, Northern New Jersey suburbs because our offices are in New York. So, of course, I catch the training, but my wife works um, in New Jersey. So she does about a 25-mile round trip per day. Um, at first, you know, you start plugging the electric vehicle in every night because you're panicking. Now we literally plug it in once a week. 
Yeah, that's so, it's so, I mean, you see this over and over. Everybody, you know, when they first get an EV, they plug it in every day. And then a lot of people switch to every other day or every week, once a week. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's now, it, it's now at the point where we, where we trust it. Initially, we were, we were worried. Now, I think, you know, if it gets two charges a week, um, because she's mostly just doing a, like I said, a 25 mile round trip commute, um, or, you know, the, the, the weekend trip to the grocery store or Costco or whatever the kids are up to. Um, that seems to be able to handle that within one or two overnight trickle charges a week. And, you know, the, what people don't understand from that perspective for most um, consumer vehicle needs is you are no longer, it's a lot of freedom comes from this. You're no longer dependent on having to queue up in a line at a gas station in commuting hours or something like that because, you're, you know, your, your tank is low. Um, you just deal with it all at home overnight. It happens by magic almost. Uh, and it, it's really a, a diff, very, very different experience that I think people take a while to adjust to as we did. Um, as I said, you know, initially we didn't trust it. We charged it every night. Now, now we don't charge it until the, the indicator comes on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, long ago before I got into this field, I was, uh, I, I got a graduate degree, master's degree in city planning from University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And I worked uh, promoting bicycling and, and mass transit and sustainable development. And uh, so I was focused very early on on how little people actually actually drive and how much that can be replaced by biking or other options that are. Uh, but but the, the thing I kept finding that sort of just really was like a slap in the face repeatedly is that people didn't understand the <laughs> how how limited their travel was and how much it, it could you know how 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 easily it could be changed and there's so, sort of this kind of perception we build in that we have to drive and that we have to drive far whereas we, we typically don't drive that far we typically drive pretty short distances we don't have uh, a lot of we don't put on a lot of miles every day um, so it's sort of like there's this challenge of perception and the way I see a lot of people word it is everyone thinks they have to be ready for that coast to coast trip from the east coast to the west coast of the United States like a, that's how people think when they think about EVs is they have to be ready for this massive coast to coast trip um, so I think there's there's a lot to work on in that regard but it is funny that I like the, the, the approach with the gas stations is interesting so we can tease that out a little more because on the one hand, a lot of early adopters, they don't want anything to do with it. They're like, why would I want to visit a gas station again? But um, when you think about the adoption curve and the different phases of adoption, you have very different types of people. So later on, you have more like, you know, mainstream early people, early adopters, um, uh, early majority. And they sort of don't, they're not as comfortable with dramatic change. So they want something that's familiar. They want what they're used to a little more. They want to see that it's, that it's easy. So I think this approach, although it might not appeal to very many early adopters, like very early adopters, it might be really um, uh, a very useful approach for the mass market. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the study that we, we had access to um, showed you that currently it's an average of about six minutes and 20 seconds to um, fill up your vehicle from three quarters to a full tank. So they're, they're taking that as the average uh, customer experience. Um, they believe, and, and I do as well, working with some of the EV battery and energy management storage folks, um, I believe that the fast charging will get fairly similar to that over time. So they believe that the experience um, in terms of, you know, how long you have to stop at a gas station shouldn't change if it's an EV station either. Um, so from their perspective, they, they think that's a nice fit. And, you know, when we're working with the, the government folks in China, um, 
you know, they sat down with us and, and they can look at things a lot more strategically. They don't have an oil and gas lobby. Um, they, own the, they own the petrochemical companies, which is Sinopec, PetroChina, and uh, Sinook. They have a few folks like BP and others that they let into the country under free trade rules, um, but, but generally they have the monopoly. And they said to us, okay, here's our challenge. One is consumers don't change behavior very easily. Mm-hmm. And we have the largest market of consumers in the world, so we know. Um, the second challenge is um, we, we is a very um, simple one. We don't want a shock to the treasury, okay, of suddenly there's a hard stop and switch over. And by hard stop, they meant in a few years, rather than, you know, 10 to 15 of revenues into the treasury from those petrochemical companies. Um, and then there was a third aspect of it that they wanted to, uh, to take a look at as well, which is um, they currently own more than 100,000 pieces of prime real estate, which are the gas stations. And they don't want to, they don't want to um, abandon those either. So there was a number of different uh, routes they looked at it. And, and the consumer behavior study uh, really supported them uh, converting the gas stations over just because of you know, what we said. People, people have an ambient understanding that there's going to be a gas station um, when they drive a, a petrol or a, a gasoline or a diesel car. Um, they don't have that with the EV currently, and that's what they want to get to. So, yeah, um, especially, especially the US, you don't have to pull up an app. You just drive on the highway and you see, you look for signs when you need to pull off, uh, you know, for, for fuel, um, which, you know, obviously um, EV, you have to plan the trip more. Yeah, and that was part of the study as well. I mean, they said, you know, just if you look at the cost of, of you know, from the maintaining the freeways and replacing all of those signs, well, people, <laughs> for, for most consumers, energy is energy. If they knew that, you know, seeing gas pump sign, which is pretty standard globally, uh, meant that they could get an EV charge, well, then that wouldn't put pressure on them to have to spend money to replace all the signage overnight as well. So, so they feel that there's a, you know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of positive reasons for this infrastructure wise, consumer behavior wise and cost wise. Yeah, there's a couple other interesting things about it that have always struck me and I'm a little, a little surprised there has been more movement on, um, uh, well, in Europe, for example, I I don't know when this really started, but they the gas stations are much more spread out. Um, there's much fewer of them, and you know you sort of um, you can have actually like kind of range anxiety or need to use the bathroom anxiety um, there because you know if you miss one, the, the other one might be really far off. Uh, but the the thing about that on the flip side is that they're designed they're they're nicer <laughs> so they're they're yes. more they're qu- quite like they're not like ugly dirty places um they're actually sort of nice places to sit down for a while so they often incorporate uh, an eating area that's quite nice you know maybe not super five-star restaurant nice but it's um not like gas station level eating from my perspective as an american uh so there's you know, there's that potential too. If you're having people stopping for a larger, longer charge, you can do that more. You can have nicer places that are meant for sitting longer, for working for a half an hour, or an hour, for you know, sitting and having having a coffee and, a, and maybe a small meal. Um, so I've always seen that as a great opportunity to, if you design places nice in a really nice way, then people will want to be there. So it's not like you know as much of a problem if they have to stop for half an hour or an hour. Um, and then the flip, the other component of that is, you know, obviously everyone knows that gas stations make a lot of their money on what they sell inside, not the gas. They're, they're often just uh, don't make money on the, on the f- selling the fuel. So 
you know, again, if you have people there longer, if you make the place more of an attractive, you know, destination or stopping point, then there's a potential to sell a lot more stuff or sell stuff at a higher margin. And um, it seems like they would jump on that, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're starting to see that here in the States as well. I mean, the States has always been about, um, you know, profit and efficiency, right? So uh, that's why our gas stations have been a bit more down and dirty than uh, than you're likely to see in Europe and other places. But I think we're starting to see it with the way the airports are converting over to more European style lounges, uh, even in the even in the areas where they're, you know, not a business lounge. Yeah, uh, you know, certainly in the New York area, the in the last 10 years, the uh, the kind of uh, you know, cafeteria areas, areas and the types of choices of food you get have really, really um, expanded to encompass global travelers' wants and needs as well. And I think there's an opportunity to do this in the, in the, uh, the gas station renewal as it switches over to EV as well, as you said. But just what should be a much more you know, pleasing experience. I think the consumers are a lot more demanding now than they were when the gas station network was put into place in the U.S., and uh, I think this is a good opportunity to do a full refresh. Yeah, there's always the issue of leapfrog, right? When you're the first one to set something up, when it comes time for updates and upgrades, um, you're not typically first. You're, you come later, so then you have older infrastructure. You know, it's like going to the U.S. after being in Europe. The internet is always a, it's like, what is wrong with the internet in L.A.? Like, this is horrible. <laughs> like, you, know, exactly. you, just, you have these kind of weird, like, this is supposed to be more developed. But, uh, but I mean, you look at how much people spend time and money in a place like Starbucks. I mean, it's not like a, not like Starbucks has anything special, uh, you know, in the building or, or the, the location. It's like they just set it up to be a nice place to sit down and work for a while or whatever. And, and uh, yeah, there's just so much opportunity for gas stations to go that route, especially, I mean, as they, you know, as you said, shift, shift more and more pumps to charging, you know, you don't have the smell and the, the, the leaks and all that that you have with a gas station that are hard to, to keep out. Uh, well, we talked about Ubitricities uh, in light pole uh, and w- w- chargers in light poles, um, Ubitricity and, and otherwise last time. Do you have any other um, charging innovations that really tickle your mind? No, I, I watch the news as it goes day by day. I mean, I've seen people saying to do everything like, you know, heat the battery up and rapidly cool it down to get a three-minute charge, full charge and things. But I think um, technology will get us there and those types of things. I think they're more kind of whimsical um, skunk works at this point than anything that's going to be viable for the commercial market. I think the most interesting thing right now is is in the battery technology itself because the ability with DC charging is is there to charge the battery quicker. The problem is the types of elements that go into a battery um, cobalt, et cetera, get hot if you if you do the fast charge too quick. So I think it really depends on the battery technology getting us to where we need to be so it's it's safe for all. But in any event, you know, you're going to get a different set of, um, uh, you know, health and safety issues with EV charging away from gasoline. Obviously, gasoline and diesel, you know, uh, people couldn't smoke while they're, while they're pumping the vehicle. Not a lot of people smoke these days anyway, but and that'll be different when EV comes in. So there'll be some slight adjustments, but but generally speaking, I think the battery is where the where the technological leap forward is made. But I thought the lamppost and things like that, those are exciting, as we touched on in the in the last podcast, where um, you know, how do you deal with that that heavy inner city urban parking where a lot of it is street parking? Um, you know, people don't get the benefit of being able to do what my wife's vehicle does, which is, you know, charge from the box at home. So um that type of innovation I think is important. It it, it really um, concerns me in the States though, because that's going to require 
local authorities and utilities to, to participate. One of the reasons our infrastructure is a little bit behind is because it was all um, taken into the public domain uh, a long time ago. It's, it's not state-owned. And it's very difficult for a CEO running a, a public utility right now to warrant that kind of investment on his watch when, you know, the financial performance goes, then his job goes, and then the next guy comes in. So there's, there's no incentive for them to make short-term decisions on infrastructure spending, which is really disappointing. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I mean we, we've t we've written about wireless charging for for many years, and it's still you know um, something that gets you know talked about a lot, written about a lot, but it's not quite here yet. Um, but it'll be interesting if it arrives. We had an interesting story, I think last week. Um, I forget the company, but they had uh, chargers that uh, come up and that go into the sidewalk and come out of the sidewalk so that you have uh, space, you know, on the sidewalk when someone doesn't need a charger. Um, but then the, they can come up in these little, you know, columns or pylons um, to be used as chargers. So I think that's, you know, there's, there's different funny little ways to get, solve some of those urban issues, but um, we'll definitely. Yeah. We, we've there. looked at, yeah, we, we've looked at the technology, uh, some interesting technology out of Switzerland. I can't remember the company name at this point, but, uh, for like weigh stations for um, heavy laden goods, vehicles, trucks. And when they pull into the weighing station, they can get charged through the mats. Um, I don't know how foolproof that, that tech is at the moment, but it, certainly a few people globally are pursuing that. And one or two companies are also trying to do it in the road surface as you drive. So, um, you know, but I think those are a little futuristic at this point rather than viable short-term applications. Yeah. <laughs> And then I guess just wrapping up on that gas station one, I think that it is really, um, I think, you know, gradually more and more of the market sees the future of transportation. So I think there, there are clearly some people in the gas station industry now who see, you know, if we want to be around in 10, 15 years, we've got to transition quickly well now. And so you see some of the, some of the networks are very proactive in, in, elect, in adding electric chargers. Um, uh, yeah. You know. But one of the things I think is important is um, you know, 2017, 2018, there's a little bit of a land grab by the big petroleum distributors, Shell, BP, Exxon. They all went out and bought grid technology startups. So they're all obviously, they've got the technology skill set in-house because they've acquired those companies and the talent with them. Yeah. Um, the question for them is, you know, when, when do they start to pull the trigger on the infrastructure investment of the crossover? So, Yeah, exactly. Well, we have to... Yeah, when, I'm sure when when there's another big announcement on that, I'm going to think of you. <laughs> so I'm going to yeah, I mean, well, there's one thing on the on the petrol station kind of model, which is important to understand is um, it takes a lot of power to run multiple EV, particularly fast charging EV. Um, so one of the challenges that they have is they're going to have to bring in solar panels, and, and some of them may get a, a good opportunity with. Um, Petroleum's like methanol, which has a high carbon hydrogen uh, footprint rather than a high carbon footprint. Um, they can use those types of, um, uh, you know, liquid fuels for on-site electrical generation. Maybe give them a, a bit of a transition period from being petroleum distributor into just electricity distributor. There seems to be a few, few, a few fuels like methanol and maybe eventually hydrogen when people can find out how to not have to store it under bars of pressure blow half the block up if there's, a, if there's an accident. Um, those, offer, those offer some potential for the petroleum companies to stay in a hybrid area where they, they both, you know, generate it on site through, through uh, petroleum-based products, albeit cleaner ones. Yeah, that peak power demand um, 
issue has always been a really fascinating and, and challenging one. I mean, especially early on, you know, you see station fast chargers with, you know, maybe a couple of, a couple of charging ports. Um, but, but when you think about the future, you're going to need, you know, uh, dozens of charging ports. Um, and when you think, when you calculate, you know, the, the power demands on, on such a scale, it gets uh, very, it's a, it's a whole different matter than anything we ha- we have really out there. So yeah, you see stations also more and more incorporating batteries to sort of to to that concerns me a little bit and i've seen this with a number of the the folks in kind of the scooter and the bike charging space is um it's not really um getting its electricity from the from the grid rather there's a box nearby which looks like a electrical substation box but it's not it's got batteries in them and uh, you know we're already starting to see stuff that people are beginning to understand that those batteries are very valuable that cabinet isn't a hard fixture. It's just bolted to the concrete. Oh, yeah. The batteries are getting stolen and taken. And oh, some yeah. these cabinets have got $20,000 worth of batteries in them. And uh, that's one of the challenges I've seen with the, you know, with the charging for scooters and bikes is they can't get the license to put in something that runs off the grid. So they're having to put very, very precious batteries yeah. into, you know, what's no more than a filing cabinet with a lock on it. It's bolted to the floor and... Um, Obviously, that that allows opportunists to come in and uh, and take those things and walk away with them. Yeah, I I forget. You know, this is something I don't th- I don't think many people think about much. Is these kind of potential human um, reactions? You know, you don't really assume sometimes that pe- criminals are going to be looking at things, but uh, they do. I forget if it was is it with chargers where there was an issue of people um, stealing, getting in and stealing the copper from them. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yes, it was. Yeah, so it's like the kind of thing you just really I I, I don't think about I don't I think a lot of people don't think about, but you're you spot on. I mean, the batteries are going to be batteries are worth a lot of money, and it would be pretty pretty sensible if you have a criminal mind and skills to to try to steal them. But uh, yeah, also I mean, like I said, right now we have a, a couple charging ports. Um, in the future, you need a couple dozen. I mean, even at that scale, you just have a lot of you have no matter what solution you come with. There's there's trade-offs and you have to consider uh, probably, you know, there's a lot of different situations will, will require different solutions. Um, yes. Yeah, fascinating time. I think the next 10 years is going to be really, um, we sort of have an image of what we're going to see, but I think we're going to see probably things evolve in different ways than we expect to solve these kind of complicated problems. You know, one of the other things most people don't understand at this point is that, um, you know, if, if you take a look at Tesla, which is obviously way ahead at this point, in terms of the consumer experience, um, most people don't understand that you're, you know, you're paying through the vehicle, and you know you put your details into the console and your credit cards linked to your account, and there's no longer a uh, the, the monetary exchange risk that there is in gas stations and places like that. In gas stations right now, many of them are independently owned and operated. They have minimum wage employees on there, and a huge amount of credit card uh, theft happens through gas stations. Well. People have got to start to understand that uh, they won't be actually, it's, it's all contactless pay. Your vehicles are smart these days. You know, you have an account, uh, you just go and plug it in and, and, you know, the magic happens in the background. I think that's that's another interesting dynamic that, uh, that people will start to see, which is EV charging is not a cash and credit card business like gasoline is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, um, it's really just one of the most fascinating topics in the industry for me because... Uh, 
uh, with a Tesla, you know, the, the beauty is definitely you, you put in the destination. I mean, I, I did this driving from Poland to Paris. It was like a 20 hour drive. I just put in our, our location in Paris in the Tesla navigation system because it was so far away. It took a couple minutes, but you know, it's just spins for a couple minutes and then it shows you every place you have to stop to supercharge and it navigates you along the way. It was the easiest road trip ever. It was so convenient. Um, but there is that premium that you're, you know, a lot of people want a Tesla for that benefit because they know they can go anywhere. It's easy. They don't have to think about it. It doesn't cost money. They're not going to have a headache and get stuck somewhere. So a lot of people we've, we've surveyed this for years. A lot of people buy a Tesla in, in good part for that one benefit. But on the other hand, you know, you don't really make road trips all that much. So, you know, my mom just did a trip from Florida to North Carolina in a 2015 BMW i3 Rex with 71 miles electric range plus a, a small gas backup. And she used Electrify America EVgo and finds it quite useful, except that some stations will be down or something, yes. or, or you'll need something that you didn't realize you needed. Like I just got in the mail today an EVgo card for her that I guess she requested along the way somehow. <laughs> so, you know, you have this, you, you, they have to streamline it more. But I, I think, um, you, you know, made an interesting point earlier about the you know gas stations rely on the uh, on the convenience store purchases and the coffee sales and the you know everything else that they sell. Um, you know, that side of it, you can you can't buy that through having your credit card stored with your uh, your Tesla account, of course. So, and then there's another dynamic which is a huge consumer one, which is um, you know we rely heavily, particularly in the U.S., on a lot of illegal workers, right? And uh, these guys are allowed to have driving licenses and own vehicles. Uh, they're an important part of the economy, but they rely on cash because they don't have credit standing to get credit cards and things that are needed to set up these online accounts. So definitely a few things that need to be figured out. Yeah, well, it's really interesting to talk. I think, um, you know, you sort of form opinions about things in this industry and just sort of stick with them. But I think having this conversation with you has been a bit mind open, opened my mind a bit more. And it really shows, I think, the highlight takeaway for me is that there's going to be a lot of solutions needed. There's going to be a lot of creativity needed, and you're going to have uh, you're going to have different ways of of solving different problems. Um, that um, I think is going to is create a lot of opportunity, and and I think just make the the EV transition easier for different portions of the population. Some need this, some need that, or some prefer this, some prefer that. So, uh, thank you for for bringing your perspective, um, and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking more in the future about. Uh, solutions you guys are working on or, or hear about in this world. So thank you very much. My pleasure. And we'll tell any listeners, you know, check in next time to get your electric fixed. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, drop us a note. We are looking for more clean tech leaders to highlight on a regular basis as we fund clean tech talk. <laughs>